So as I said, this is going to be a very short devotional message, or at least I hope I've been saying that for like the past two or three weeks. So it's going to be short, and then it always ends up long. Um, but this is going to be short because I do really want to get into this, into this film that we're going to watch. Um, but the thing that I wanted to share, oh, by the way, open up to Romans 12 for you guys. Uh, if you brought your Bibles, if you're a believer, I hope you have your Bible. If you're a believer and you don't have your Bible, bring your Bible. Um, but if you're visiting, um, it's all right. Don't worry about it. Um, so uh, the thing that I wanted to share in this quick devotional, uh, it's something that's been something of a theme in this young adults ministry for a long time, like ever since I kind of took over, I was given the mantle of this young adults ministry. And that theme is the extreme importance, the extreme, extreme importance of knowing God's word. Extreme, it's extremely important to know God's word, but not only knowing God's word, but also submitting to God's word. Submitting, that is a very significant thing to highlight. Submission to the word. There's a lot of Bible scholars that are going to hell. And so this is important to submit to the word because when we come to Christ, we come to him with so much baggage. We come to him with a lot of baggage. We have a lot of ideas. We have a lot of perspectives. We have a lot of opinions. We have a lot of, of, of ways that we think the world should work. And some of those things that we come to Christ with, they're easy to surrender. It's easy to surrender some of these things. But there are other areas, other things that are a battle, a battle to give up. Some of you have heard me share that when I came to Christ. Um, I, was a, I was a drunkard. I was a fornicator. I was like a party guy. Like I was just your typical 20-year-old, your typical 18, 19-year-old. And um, when I came to Christ, uh, I came face to face with the gospel. I was, I was fully in love with my sin. I, I was loving my sin. I had no problem with it. I, I very much enjoyed my sin. I still enjoyed that party lifestyle, but I had to repent. I had to repent. Even though I may not have wanted to, I had to repent. So I came to God and I was like, look, God, I'm just going to be honest with you. I believe you. I believe you. I believe that everything you're saying is true. Everything that you've been preaching to me through this preacher is true because it's in the word. I believe it. I know it's true. But I'm still really enjoying my sin. I still really enjoy my party lifestyle. I need you to change me. I need you to change me. And he did. He changed me. I knew that I was wrong. I knew that I was wrong. Even though I enjoyed that stuff, I knew that I was wrong and that and God was right in spite of my affinity for alcohol and all those other things that I was doing. I came to God with baggage. And, and, and a lot of, I came to God with a lot of baggage. And even to this day, I'm still finding random things. Like, well, where did that come from? Like, there's just, there's so much baggage that we come to God with. It's a mess. But it is a process. It is a process of spending time with the Lord in his word, knowing his word, and submitting to his word that you can begin to change the way that you think. But you are never going to experience any kind of growth in Christ you're never going to experience any of that unless you are spending time with Jesus. Unless, and, and unless you understand that you are wrong. You need to understand that you are wrong. Everything that you believe is wrong. When you come to Christ, you are wrong. Just believe that already. You're wrong. And you need to be wrong. You need to understand that so that you can be corrected. Jesus said the healthy people, they don't need a doctor. And he said, and the self-righteous people, they don't need me either. If you don't think you need to be corrected, then Jesus can't correct you. But you need to understand that you are wrong. 
You need to be corrected. Everything that you think, all the ways that you think, you're wrong when you come to Christ. If you don't think that you need to be corrected, as I said, Jesus can't correct you. And Jesus, he is resisting you. Your pride is causing the Lord to resist you. Jesus said he came for sinners. That's who he came for. You're a sinner. If he came for you, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. And you need to be molded and shaped into the perfect image of Jesus Christ. In John 9, Jesus said that he came into the world. He didn't come into the world, or actually, no, no. He said he came into the world for judgment. This is what he said in John 9. He came into the world for judgment so that the blind can see and that those who do see will become blind. What did he mean by that? Well, he was saying that if you come to him acknowledging If you come to him acknowledging that you are wrong, acknowledging that you are blind, acknowledging that you need to be corrected, then you will be made right and you will be able to see. He will cure your blindness. But if you if you come to him, if you don't acknowledge your wrongness, if you don't acknowledge that that if if you if you think that you are self-righteous, if you come to him with a self-righteous attitude, I don't really need you. You think you actually see but you're the one who is going to continue to be blind and your sin is going to remain in you. You need to acknowledge that you have blind spots and you need to allow the Lord to show them to you through his word and you need to submit to what he is revealing to you through his word. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's feel like it's been a constant theme for us over the past few months, but let's read what it says. Romans 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. This is your true form of worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? Well, first of all, it's, it's good and acceptable and perfect, but you want to know what the will of God is? What does he say? You need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want to know what the will of God is? You need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And before you do that, you need to also not be conformed to this world. Don't think like the world thinks. Don't think like you used to think. You want to know what the will of God is? You need to be transformed in your mind, and you need to not conform to what they are thinking out there. And, before, and, and in order for you to do that, you need to offer up your entire body as, as a living sacrifice. This is true worship. It's not singing songs. True worship is giving up your entire body to Jesus, giving everything to God. And why are you going to do that? Because of the mercies of God. Because of the mercies of God. And, and if you look at uh, uh, chapter 12, it's, he, uh, Paul starts with therefore. Why, why did he say therefore? Why is that there? Well, because he said something before saying these things, and it's extremely important what he said because that informs what he said in verses 1 and 2. So what did he say before the therefore? Romans 11. Let's read Romans 11. We've read this before. This might be quite a few scripture, but I'm going to try to get through this a little quicker. He said, I ask then, chapter 11, verse 1. This is Paul writing. He says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Talking about Israel. Has God rejected his people? Absolutely not. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they're trying to take my life. God, your people are a mess. They're a mess. Verse four, but what was God's answer to him? 
I have left 7,000 for myself who have not bowed down to Baal. In the same way then, there is also at this present time a remnant chosen by grace. Now if by grace, then it is not by works, otherwise grace ceases to be grace. What then? Israel did not find what it was looking for, but the elect did find it. The rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes they cannot see, and ears they cannot hear to this day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a pitfall and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, and their backs be bent continually. Verse 11, he says, I asked then, have they stumbled? Speaking about Israel, the unbelieving Israelites, I asked then, have they stumbled so as to fall? Absolutely not. On the contrary, by their transgression, by their not believing, salvation has come to the Gentiles, to those of us who are not Jewish. Salvation has come to us to make Israel jealous. Now, if their transgression, if their refusal to believe in their Messiah brings riches for the world, for the non-Jewish population, and their failures riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness bring when they finally come to God? Now, verse 13, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Insofar as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If I might somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them. For if their rejection brings reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Now, if the first fruits are holy, so is the whole batch. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. This is where it gets pretty good. Verse 17. Now, if some of the branches were broken off, meaning some of the original Jews, some of the, is people, the people who are actually Jewish, if some of the branches were broken off, and you, though a wild olive branch, you Gentiles who were not Jewish, but you being a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, do not boast that you are better than those branches. But if you do boast, you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough, they were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand by what? By faith. Do not be arrogant, but beware. Because if God did not spare the natural branches, the natural Israelites, the natural Jews, if he didn't spare them because of unbelief, he will not spare you either. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you, if you remain in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in, because God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from your native wild olive tree, and against nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, meaning you're not a Jew, you are not Israel, but because you believe you're a wild olive branch, you're not part of Israel, you're a wild olive branch, but because of your belief, God took you a wild olive branch and he put you into Israel. You are a part of Israel. You are Israel if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. If God did this, how much more will these, the natural branches, speaking of those who are ethnically Jewish, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Regarding the gospel, regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage. 
But regarding election, they are still loved. They are loved because of the patriarch, since God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. As you once disobeyed God, but now have received mercy through their disobedience, so they too have now disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so that they also may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that he may have mercy on all. And this is beautiful. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, how untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, and who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. As Romans 12 begins, Paul says, therefore, What did he write the therefore for? He's saying, in light of all of these things, in light of everything that we just read in Romans 11, in light of all of these things, in light of the the fact that it seemed like the promises of God were only for Israel, in light of the fact that though it seemed that way, the promises of God were for everyone, in light of the fact that God, in light of the fact that though we were not naturally part of this tree Israel, We have been supernaturally grafted into this tree by God because of our faith. And that was always God's plan. In light of the fact that though it may seem like God is done with Israel, he's not. Which gives us a great testimony of his faithfulness. It gives us great confidence in in God's faithfulness. The fact that he is not done with Israel. Because if he remains faithful to Israel in the midst of all of their mess and their nonsense, we can count on the fact that he is going to remain faithful to us in the midst of our nonsense. Praise God for that. In light of the fact that God did all of this. He planned all of this before the foundation of the world. This was his plan all along. This wasn't God like trying to figure things out on the fly. Like, oh, what are we going to do now? Like, they rejected me. I'll just go to the Gentiles. No, this was his plan all along. God always intended to save the world through the death of his one and only son, the Jewish Messiah. God always intended what it says in Ephesians 2, 11, verses 11 through 14, where it says, so then remember, speaking to Gentile believers, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, when you were separated, when you were the uncircumcised, at that time, you were without Christ. Excluded, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. This is who we were. This is who we were before Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, he made both groups one. And he tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In light of this, brothers and sisters, in light of this, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. 
Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. God deserves your worship. He deserves your submission. He deserves your devotion. I was praying a couple of weeks ago before I was going to preach on a Thursday night, and I remember in my prayer, I was like, God, you are, you are worthy. Like, you are worthy for, for me to worship you. You are worthy of my worship. You're worthy of my praise. You're worthy of my prayer. Like, I was just telling God, like, God, you are worthy uh, for me to give you these things. But then I started to think, I started to ask God, like, but God, why, why, would, why would you want anything that I have to offer? Like, yes, you're worthy, but... You are worthy of so much more than I can offer. Why would you want anything that I have to offer? Why would you want my hypocritical worship? Why would you want anything that I have to offer? Well, one reason, plain and simple, he loves me. He loves us. He just, he just loves us. My son has really nothing to offer me. He can't do anything for me. Like, I, he literally needs me to survive but man, and any love and affection that this kid gives me, I'm all over it. Give it to me. (laughs) Give it to me, baby. I want it. Give it to me. So he loves us. But the second reason, it's not about us. It's about him. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about him, and he is so worthy. There's a song called Lamb of God. Look it up. Do I ever know, right? Never, always, it's always good recommendations. Lamb of God by Stephanie Gretzinger. I don't know if she like redid a hymn or if she actually wrote it herself. This girl's been on fire lately though. But Lamb of God, and this is what it says in it. It's so beautiful. She says, behold the mystery, the high exalted king who hung between thieves, the Lamb of God. You were wounded for all sin, bruised to cleanse the guilt of generations, the Lamb of God. Sing praise, sing praise. You are worthy of it all, my king. My voice I'll raise till every kingdom bows its knee. Sing praise, sing praise. And then the bridge is where it gets really good as as these things tend to happen. She says, give the lamb the reward of his suffering. With the elders and saints, give your crown. With the angels and creatures, cry holy. Give your life every breath to him now. It is all about him. It is all about him and he is so worthy. He is worthy of our lives. He is worthy of our love. He is worthy to receive that which he came to die for, to receive the reward of his suffering, to receive a holy and perfect bride. And that is us believers. We are his holy and perfect bride. And he is worthy. He is worthy to be followed and pursued by this bride and, 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 this, and he is worthy for this bride that though this bride is perfect and holy in the heavenly, seated with Christ Jesus, practically on this earth, this bride ain't perfect yet, but he is worthy for this imperfect bride to pursue him and to become that perfection that this bride already is. He's worthy. He's worthy for us to pursue him, to pursue him in his word, to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who he is. My son, uh, he's five, and he's on his like third session of soccer, of AYSO. And um, this is the first year where it's like they kind of get it. And, um, and so he, it's, it, was, it was my wife and I were, were observing him, and we're like, why is this kid like not doing as well, you know, like at the beginning, he's doing good now, but like at the beginning, it was like, what's going on? And we realized like his entire life, 
His entire life, we've told him, you need to be kind, you need to share, you need to be loving, like you need to be, you, you need to be a good friend. Like for five years, we've been telling this kid that this is how you need to behave. And then all of a sudden, we're like, take that ball away from him. What are you, take it away, push him, it's okay, like it's soccer. You know, like, and so like as he's out there, he's like this, you know, he, he, he runs up to the ball. And then the, the other team is there, and he's like, basically like, you can have it. You know, it's just like, like, no, 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 no. Not all. That's not how you play. <laughs> but the thing that we were noting is that all, all of that, that whole concept of, of, you know, competitiveness and stealing and not being kind, you know, like, for the sake of the sport, you know, you're not actually hating this person. But like, it was so unnatural to him. It was so foreign to him. He's like, I don't understand what I'm doing here. Like, I don't even really want to do this. Man, let us become such a mirror image of Jesus Christ that whenever we are confronted with anything that is worldly, that is not according to his word, that we're just kind of like, this is weird. Like, I don't really want to I don't want to do this. Like, and, and, and then also let us not hear the people from the stands saying, no, go do it, do it. Like, like oh, okay, I mean, if you, guys are, if you guys are telling me to, okay. And, and then get involved in things that are not of the Lord. Let us not do those things. And so as, as, we, begin to, as we begin to close, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to go a little long. Uh, as we begin to close, I just, there's so many people here. There's a lot of people here. There's a lot of new people here. And like I said, we didn't introduce you the way that we normally do. But I don't know you guys. I don't know you new people. And there might be some new people in here that like, yeah, you're walking strong with the Lord and things are all good. And this is a great message to hear, to remind you and to encourage you. Like, you need to pursue the Lord. Keep getting after it. But there might be people in here who don't know Jesus. Somebody invited you. You heard, hey, it's movie night. Let's watch Napoleon Dynamite. You're like, sorry, that's not what's going to happen. And, or, or maybe you're, you're, you, you know Jesus, but you're backslidden, and you're just kind of like not really following him. And my favorite way to describe the, the, our, our problem with, with sin and, and why we need a Savior is, is in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 through 3. And I might not read it all, but... Basically, God creates Adam and Eve. He creates them perfectly. He puts them in a garden. All of their needs are met. He says, you can eat of any fruit of any tree except for the one tree. You cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that fruit because if you eat it, you'll die. And then, and, uh, so, so God creates Adam. He creates Eve. He, he, gives them that, he gives them that command. And then what happens? Well, let's, let's read Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to try to go through this quickly. Man. It's dry up here. All right. It says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, this is the serpent talking to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from, eat from any tree of the garden? God didn't say that. The woman said to the serpent, No, 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 we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. God also didn't say that. In verse 4, the serpent says, No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. 
She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is us. This is us, you guys. God has created every single one of us, and he has given us commands. The Bible says that he has written his law on our hearts. He has given us a conscience. We know what right and wrong is. We know what forbidden fruits are out there. But we, we, we come in contact with those forbidden fruits, and we, we look at them, and we're like, well, it does look tasty. The Bible says that Eve looked at the tree and saw that it was good for food. It looks nourishing. And, she, and it says that she also saw that it had a desirable outcome. I can be wise. Like, I can be like God. That is every single one of us. We know that we shouldn't be involved in these things. We know that we shouldn't be fornicating. We know that we shouldn't be having sex outside of marriage. We know that we shouldn't uh, be living in a homosexual lifestyle or LGBT, LMNOP lifestyle. We know that we shouldn't be doing any of these things. We know that we shouldn't be drunkards. We know that we shouldn't be stealing. We know that we shouldn't be lying. There are many things that we know we shouldn't be doing, but when we're confronted with those things, we say, that looks delicious though. And it's going to give me what I want. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. And so now we're all dead. When we stand before God, God is going to judge us based on what we've done. And we're all guilty. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is that Jesus Christ came down in the form of a man. God entered into time as a man. And he died. He took the punishment for all of our sins. Even though he lived a perfectly sinless life, he never once crossed God. Never once broke God's law. He fulfilled the law. He accomplished it. But he died a sinner's death so that he could also rise again. God saw that. God saw that sacrifice and said, that sacrifice is perfect. That sacrifice is enough. This is a perfect sacrifice. This is acceptable. All the punishment, all the wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ because he was perfect. And now God is saying, hey, I loved you so much that I gave my one and only son so that if you would just believe in him, you will not perish. You will not have to go to hell, but you will have eternal life. Because right now, John 3, uh, going down later, Jesus says, every single one of us is born with condemnation on top of us. We are all born to be condemned because of our sin. And Jesus says, here's the free gift. I am offering it to you. Now, if you receive this free gift of salvation by believing what I did for you on that cross, if you receive that free gift of salvation, I'm going to take that condemnation that's over you. I'm going to throw it away, and then I'm going to give you my perfection. All you need to do is believe in it. Just receive it, and it's yours. I'll give you my Holy Spirit. I will change you. I will change your desires, and you will be new. That's your choice. But if you choose not to believe, if you choose to reject this free gift— I'm not going to grab that condemnation away from you. I'm going to leave it on you. See, God, Jesus isn't judging anybody. We're already condemned. But if we don't believe, that condemnation remains on us. But God didn't want that. That's why he came. He loves you so much. He died and rose again to prove his love to you. He loves you so much that he died for you to give you the opportunity to have a right relationship with him again. But you have to receive it. To those who received him, to those he gave the right to be called a child of God. And when you receive it, God will come into your life. He will live inside of you in the form of his Holy Spirit, and he will begin to change you, and you will be new. I'm not the same person I was when I was 18 years old. Definitely not. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh-uh. I was doing my thing. But God invaded my life. 
And so he, he can do that to all of you. For those of you who are believers in here, praise God. But if there's anybody in here who doesn't know Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity before we get into this movie to make that proclamation of faith. So if there's anybody, and we're not going to turn out the lights, we're not going to play moody music. If anybody wants to come to Christ to receive this free gift of salvation, we all want to pray for you. Those of us who believe, we want to pray for you. So if there's anybody here, you walked away from the Lord, and you want to come back to him, Maybe you don't know him at all. You want to come to him. All right. Okay. Let's see what happens. <laughs> 